Welcome back, everybody, to Kafaro Casts. This is Frank here with A. Ron Snyder and our good buddy, Paul Gustafson. One uh, of the funniest man, men you'll ever meet. He's funny son bitch. Hey, <laughs> he's throwing chocolate chips at me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul was the one, if we do these podcasts in order, Paul was with us Sunday, or we were with Paul at the, uh, Which the 3D one is tournament. It? We were with Paul. We were with Paul. He has seniority. You got me by... Less than a year, forty-two, and I, I'm forty-one, so yeah. somewhere, somewhere, somewhere a year or less, give or take. And I, then I uh, got you on maturity level. No, <laughs> no, but. I'm going on about five. <laughs> no, but Paul, you're from the great state of Montana. Yep, uh, Butte, right? Yep. And you got your brother Bonesy. Bonesy. Yep. Yeah. And so you guys are both. Well, we'll just say Paul's extremely smart, but smarter than Paul, or smarter than Frank and I. You went to. Uh, Montana Tech. Yep. And that's kind of the same as um, the School of the Mines down here. Yep. So what exactly is it you do other than make people's jobs miserable that aren't good construction workers? No, I work as a welding (laughs) inspector. My degree is in welding engineering, so just kind of a welding guy. So the DIA, you're a big part of that, aren't you? You're out there all the time. Yep. So what what do you do with that? Just check... Bolts so and welds. You're the Bolts guy that comes welds. out after I weld yeah, the, the iron load. workers. Yeah. They like to hug me. <laughs> yeah, me and iron workers, we're buddies. Are you guys digging uh, secret tunnels down there? No. In the shape of a swastika? No, they don't go to Colorado Springs. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, even though people like to believe they do. Yeah. yeah. The Illuminati or whatever. Yeah, there's lots of three-legged dogs and two-legged chickens. So. <laughs> Running around. Yeah. Good yeah. Lord. No, DI is a special place. We've done a lot of work out there. Yeah. No, we. I'd have guys, uh, Terracon was one, um, I'm sure that's from your, I would, they would come out as I was dragging slag over my weld to uh, make it look better because I wasn't very good at welding right off the bat. And then they would bring this little x-ray thingy and shit can it and I'd have to cut them all off and uh, redo them. Yeah. Yeah. We see a little bit of that. That's for sure. Yeah. Some cutting of corners. Oh Ooh. yeah. Yeah. If, uh. Yeah, if they're talking, they're lying. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. The good ones, though, they just watch you for a little bit, and they can tell you're not worth a fuck as a welder, and then they come up and, and inspect. When I say the good ones, the ones that um, we saw, they never caused problems. They just— Oh, yeah, yeah no, just, I mean, you got good crews. There's good iron workers. I mean, it's like any trade. It's oh, like, no, I mean your inspectors. Yeah, like, same thing. I yeah. mean, you get good ones. You get guys that look at everything from the ground— Look at everything from the truck window. Yeah. You know, you get guys that are real invested in their job and the quality they do. So it's like anything in life. Yeah. Yeah. So how long you, How long ago did you move to? 18 um, years. 18 years yep. to Colorado. Had you lived in the same spot? I never did ask you that. No. When I first moved down here, I took a, an apartment over the phone. I had never been down here. I was worried about money. I ended up in a dump. It was was great, man. I'll never forget that. I mean, I'm just from a small city. You know, I haven't been exposed to much. And it had community laundry. Oh, that's the worst, yeah. Well, in the community laundry area from the 
place, when you went from my apartment to the laundry, you walk by like a common yard. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, I walk out there the one day, and there's these two black guys just wailing on this white dude, man. They're just (laughs) whooping his ass, right? (laughs) I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, it was like one of the greatest experiences I've ever seen. I mean, that's just kind of, you know. Sounds like you're describing prison. (laughs) Yeah, it was was epic. I mean, and this guy, he was getting whooped pretty good. I don't know what happened. I didn't thought I better not. You were you know, white too. Yeah, I better not throw myself in that mix. It'll end up bad, right? Yeah, no so, Yeah, because Butte's not that big. No, Butte, 30, you know, 30-some thousand people. Um, I didn't know any better when I came down here. I just thought, you know, areas are areas and there's no good or bad. And, uh, yeah, so I lived in a 700-square-foot apartment off Leachdale in Quebec for probably five years. Yeah. Five years. I seen some stuff over there. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, I seen some stuff. Got exposed to, I guess maybe the not so great part of city life. Oh um, yeah. I never had a problem though. Yeah. Yeah. What part it, of town is that? Uh, that'd be. I don't know. I think if I remember right, it's considered Denver. Okay. Yeah. Straight up Denver. I mean, it was great though. You know, you're close to shotgun willies, you know, you're close to stuff <laughs> like that. So, you know, I mean, it was perfect when I first moved down here. Yeah. Well, you you go back home and hunt elk every year though, don't you? Yeah. I still just hunt Montana with my dad and my brother still. Mm. You know, Montana has done the, it's basically a come home to hunt plan. So if you're from Montana were born in Montana and you still have family in Montana, you don't pay full out-of-state prices. Yeah, that's so, pretty cool. Yeah, for me, you know, it's just easier to take the time off and why my dad's still able to hunt with my dad and my brother. Tags are expensive for out-of-state there, oh, if I, 900 bucks, yeah, right? Yeah, if I go straight out-of-state before they pass this law, which has been, I don't know, the last four or five years, I was paying, even then, $800. Yeah. Yeah, and they've gone up since. Well, we yeah, we just paid nine something for, for because we're going up there to hunt this year. Um, again, I didn't last year. I hunted Montana, but I can't remember what tell the tag was. But because um, uh, for the combo, it's twelve hundred, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. It's even. It's quite a bit more. So fuck you, Montana. That's the most <laughs> expensive state in the lower forty-eight. Well, I think. You know, I don't know why the the cost has gone up because you know if we look at some of the numbers, the numbers have gone down. You know, so from a cost standpoint, yeah, I don't know how much sense it makes to hunt some of it. I wouldn't complain if they uh, they raise the cost for Colorado out of state. Yeah. I think they should, to be <laughs> honest with you. I I mean, I look at it. We'll get beat up for this, which I don't give a fuck. But um, you look at um, the opportunity, I guess, if the growth of of cities coming in, encroaching on public land and then defending that public land and then the conservation aspect, not to go all Donnie Vincent and Brian call on you, but the conservation aspect of it costs a lot of money. Yep. There's not not that I'm a huge fan of game wardens, but they need to be need to be out there. Just stay away from me, boys. Logan, talking to you, buddy. Um, <laughs> and uh, if they we need more of them, really, and that costs money, and so there is a viable argument for raising the tags in Colorado because I, I got to imagine we have the most out-of-state pressure of any other state. Well, just sheer numbers. I mean, when you look at elk numbers, there's no better state in the U.S. I'm just kidding, Logan. I love you. Yeah, you're right. I mean, as far <laughs> as total out-of-state numbers, uh, no homo, uh, population, like it's insane for, for elk. And 
I mean, it's expensive, and I got to imagine not just a, as far as the game wardens go, but but just the the biology aspect, I guess, the science of it, as far as getting people out there, as far as the whether it be mountain goat, sheep, elk, mule deer, the counts, all of that different stuff going on. It is a viable. I mean, it's an argument to raise the prices because we're five hundred, right? Five seventy-five. Yeah. I mean, I I would say Colorado's pretty shitty for all big game hunting. So. Well, I think I too. I mean, especially out. coming <laughs> from Montana, if you ask me, what's so messed up down here is, you know, say you draw an archery only elk tag, if you don't fill it in archery season, you can't carry it over into rifle. That's yeah. not the case in Montana. Yeah. So Montana, you know, you get eight full weeks if you don't fill your archery tag. Mm-hmm. You know that. That's a tag for an animal that's accounted for. I don't know why you're limited because archery season two here is only how many weeks? Four. Four, yeah. Yeah, so, and plus it seems to me like it, you know, archery season in Montana, I believe, goes the second weekend in October, where here you're pretty well done at the end of September, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. um, I don't know. I guess I just see two varying viewpoints on the archery season specifically. Well, and there's um, – especially because uh, you've shot both compound and traditional. Um, there's all the talk of should there be traditional – well, not all the talk. There's talk of should there be traditional-only seasons because compounds are getting more effective, technology. Uh, People would fucking lose their minds if that was the case. Well, and I think if you – Don't you think? Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, is if you took um, trying to be – common sense about this like the shed hunting thing right like if you took and you know you separated things out and you let's say you started archery season a week earlier oh all right so now there's five weeks or something and you went a week later so you got six weeks splitting it up three and three is that so if you did that it would be one there'd be a lot of poaching motherfuckers there'd be a lot of guys with yeah. a stick bow and a compound in the woods i mean they're just wood I, I would bet right i mean possibly but the rifle hunting never really seems to get brought up seasons have been the same for a long time here in colorado but i don't mind with a stick bow hunting with compound guys doesn't bug me a bit no that doesn't bother me at all truth of the matter is you're talking to a person that i can't hit the broad side of a barn with you the compound. To look through the you're, peep you're, and yeah. you're good with a compound. No, I'm no, good on the this, target range. Don't I'll smoke you on the yeah, target range. Say, he can run with me on the yeah, target you range. You put a live animal in front of me. <laughs> Man, I've shot animals. I've missed animals so far that I've had people ask me, was there another animal you were shooting at? <laughs> I mean, it's epic, right? It's epic. And I don't know, you know, the last time I shot a compound at a live animal, I missed three animals with five arrows and two of those i had missed so far so far they looked like huh that guy's shooting something (laughs) in the next county so yeah that's awesome but i you know i don't know what the answer to that question is because i think you know ultimately it becomes hard you know when it you know are people using you know, the weapon they use is a crutch or an excuse. Do they fully understand that, you know, the re- weapon really don't matter at the end of the day? Um, to some people, to others it does. Yeah. You know, um, that's a very, very complicated question that I don't know if there's any good answer to that. Well, there's been – hasn't there been talk of 
moving the muzzleloader season later or even after archery season because muzzleloaders are pretty advanced nowadays. Well, and I do think you gain a huge advantage for going from even a compound to a muzzleloader. Frick yeah, I dude. wouldn't even give a fuck if they left it the same <laughs> and they started a week earlier with archery. Yeah, you'd still overlap. I remember the CBA a few years ago was trying to get archery season extended, but I never heard anything well, from that. I, I mean, of course, this is just off the hip, just talking about this. I wouldn't care if they they stuck it and it was just muzzleloader hunters in the field, let's say that one week, mm-hmm. and then archery got the last week again after that, or yep. archery got four straight through and that and we started a week earlier, Yeah, and that last week was, was muzzleloader. That would make sense. It wouldn't, to, to me, it, it the elk are still bugling, so the muzzleloaders aren't getting screwed, right? right? They don't have all us pecker woods running around the woods to deal with. And honestly, I like hunting the high country. I got a way better chance with a stick, a compound, or a, a for all you guys that don't like the word trad, trad bow, um, at, at 12,000 feet during their summer feeding patterns. Mule deer might not quite have all the growth, but pretty damn close when we talk some, a hair more of growth left. So I wouldn't mind if we started mid-August. Fuck, it give us something to do. Yeah. Um, go until that last week. Now, the last week, and muzzleloaders take that. It wouldn't affect anything that I can see, um, you know, to me anyway. But, well, what do I know? I can barely it's read almost, and write. It almost seems like the rut for elk anyways keeps going, getting later and later. Yeah, and that's why I find it Don't interesting. Don't let Chris Rowe let you hear that, hear that <laughs> shit. No, I do. I think it's interesting Aaron would take, you know, a lot to start a week earlier. I think that goes to tell you a lot of his hunting style. Mm-hmm. Where me, as someone that's a call hunter, yeah, I'd prefer it a week later, <laughs> to be honest with you. My, yeah. You know, I'm not, when it comes to spot and stock, you know, I can't spot and stock a turd in the toilet, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that would be some of the argument, but even still, you'd be getting, if you left it how it is now, you'd be getting what I consider the peak of the rut for calling, and you wouldn't have to deal with the Orange Mafia. Yeah. Um, that, and that would be an argument on mine. Like, if they put that to a vote, I can't imagine too many bow hunters would be too irritated over that. But a lot of that, too, is a biased opinion on my part because, one, August is fucking boring unless somebody draws a sheep tag or we go out of, you know, the United States. Or if um, you want to get fucking cactus in your hang down, go hunt antelope. <laughs> yeah. And send some trad flags out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, wow, it's going to take me a minute to recover from that one. <laughs> I had that everywhere. I don't, how do you get them in your nutsack? I had one in my ball yeah, on right. the left side. I rolled, Low hangers. I, I rolled to the left, and uh, man, shit went downhill. But, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, and that's one good thing I got to say. Like, anytime I'm stupefied with a question, I'll call Paul, because, Paul, you usually look at things from a non-biased perspective and then kind of sort it out and, and think through it. And... Uh, you know, with Idaho's the same way, if I remember right, you know, you can keep hunting, right? Yeah. If you don't fill your tag. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing because I think a lot of where our views, mine and yours, and, you know, the more I know Frank, I I'm, can't speak exactly for you, but I think where we're similar is, you know, a lot of our protein source growing up was you know, wild game. Yeah. You know, so if you, especially for families. Is spam wild game? It might be. (laughs) (laughs) Are lips an asshole wild? (laughs) Depends on what part of Denver. (laughs) I mean, it just increases the opportunity Mm -hmm. to fill, to put meat, actually meat in the freezer. But I guess if you go that route, then Colorado would lose some money, right? 
No. Because, well, because you have your, well, you'd have to raise the price of tags then if you did that. Well, I go you back think? to, you know, look at the success rates for archery. You're, you're killing very few animals in archery season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere you know, down as low as four, three, four percent. That's just it. And uh, f- just from a numbers game, I mean, if you simply want to put meat in the freezer from a numbers game, unless you're a very successful bow hunter, which let's be honest, not very many people are. Everyone thinks they are, right? But no one is. So if you want to put meat in the freezer, what, you're, what are you left with? You're probably going to grab the boomstick. Yeah, in Colorado, you can't. So Exactly. Yeah. So you're going to get more guys to put in for rifle season than you are archery season. True. Yeah. What are you, what were you talking about? We'd lose money? Well, if, if there's, so there's all these people that are put in for these rifle tags, and then you have the archery tags that go beyond that. So you would be just buying one tag and then you would be able to hunt archery and, and rifle. But how it is now, you'd buy an archery tag and say you want to get like a list B rifle tag. Colorado would lose money on that list B tag, I guess. Would well, you'd still be able to buy a list B, I uh, bet, because that list B is a cow tag. Yeah, I guess you're right. So, I mean, I don't it, – fuck, it's not like I broke this down with <laughs> mass research, right? No, I right? mean, <laughs> it's just, you know, three guys talking about kind of just their viewpoints on it. You know, I mean, I I'm in a situation in life where I don't have to rely on that food source. So, you know, I'm not sitting here starving at home, but I know growing up as a kid, you know, hunting was serious. And so we did. We hunted, you know, the rifle season. Well, when the, and it's totally different for me because I don't have to pay for any of my gear, right? But um, I would imagine we probably are taking down... 50 pounds of meat a, a month, I would guess, between Frank and I and Amy um, and the neighbors that steal our shit. Uh, it's by the way, the old lady the other day I'm shooting across <laughs> the road. Dude, he was so fucking mad. Did she say something? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, really? Yeah, that never goes good. Well, That's her, like her, anytime uh, you start tell Aaron what to start doing, it just goes bad. Her reasoning just was didn't make any sense. So I've got a clear view, 150 yards either way, yeah. to shoot across 20, across, in, which... If I'm perjuring or purging myself, it's illegal. I don't know, but I'm shooting a recurve. So she stops. Solid backdrop, by the way. Oh, that backdrop. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're never going to lose an arrow. No. Well, you might lose it into the rock wall, yeah, it's but gonna you're going to blow break. it up. But. So mm-hmm. I can see both ways. And this, ch- I know what's going on. She's like 70 and 400 pounds, right? <laughs> yeah. Back, forth, back, <laughs> yeah. forth. Mowing and, through donuts. Oh yeah, and and, and she's <laughs> mm-hmm. and every time she goes to drive by, I put the bow down and sit there and wait, and because I can see. So she obviously didn't have enough. The next time she's driving back to her house, and she stops like fifty yards, sir. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sir. And I'm like, yeah, right here. Don't shoot. And I'm like, I'm not. Haven't been. Yeah. What's up? My husband can't see very well. You could shoot his tire out. And I'm like, well, ma'am, I, I said, I can see quite a ways away uh, for people coming. I said, so it's not like if someone's walking a dog, they're in the line of fire here. I can see. I mean, if I was a sniper, I'd have a heyday. I can see so far. It's 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 safe. But if it makes you feel better, I'll move the target and put it in the garage. And then, of course, she brings out the poverty thing. Do you buy this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm buying it. Well, you need to be a good neighbor. And I said, you know, it's funny you bring that up. Is your husband driving with piss poor vision 
a better neighbor than yeah, me right. shooting. Goes and murks a little kid getting oh, yeah. out of church. Being, yeah. yeah, better better neighbor than me shooting with great vision. And I said, because I can see a car coming. Yeah, um, yeah, you can't see shit. And she's like, well, this is just dangerous. And I'm like, well, ma'am, this is about the safest situation you could possibly have. It's nothing but national forest where I'm shooting. There's a 20-foot, well, it's 10-foot rock wall and a 30-foot bank above that. She's like, you need to shoot this way. And I'm like, so you want me to shoot at your house and my neighbor's house? Yeah, you down shoot? the street. Down the street. And yeah. she's like, you could shoot a car coming. And I'm like, ma'am, unless there's like some Flash Gordon shit going on, I can see <laughs> forever. Dude, there's such little uh, little car traffic because it's a fucking cul-de-sac. Yeah, like we live in a, a development. You have a code to get in or whatever. Anyway, uh, way out of me and Frank's League, we don't fit in. There's dead moose in the front yard, but they dig that shit. So... I just I brought the target in, and then she walked by. Did she walk by? She just kept coming back and forth, just like yeah. just nosy, you know? Yeah, just asking just for it, asking for a confrontation, for a fight. Yeah, you and you know we where we're at is definitely above. Ten years ago, he would have gave her one. <laughs> oh man, I was getting frustrated. But I mean, talking about like educating people, you know, we talk about the. You know, we had Aaron Nielsen on here not too long ago about the word trophy hunting, and and really the more and more. You know, I'm digging into this and trying to convert people over it. It's just educating them. Yeah, that's so it. Yesterday at Vitamin Cottage of all places, the tall guy that works in there. Um, oh yeah, over here. Yeah, he. Mm-hmm. So, sir, do you own the, the the big truck with the rhino? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? What do you do? And I was like, Well, I, I I'm a president and CEO of a backpack company. We make sleeping bags and backpacks and. You know, we sell them to everything from outfitters, guides, to people climbing Everest, to, you know, tactical, you know, military. Oh, um, you, do you hunt? And I'm like, are you wondering if I poach rhinos? Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> and I advertise it. hundred fucking percent, that's what he thought. That He said it wasn't him, it was the girl, the hippie chick. Oh, yeah. And They're always awkward as shit when we go so in there. I'm they like, don't like us. Well, and you know how confrontational I am. I'm like, so who thought what? I was like, go and grab them. He, and he was like, what? And I said, grab him. Let's, let's talk about this. And uh, I said, do you realize, because Cleghorn, right? I said, yeah. do you realize hunters are the ones that are hired to go hunt down the poachers in Africa that are poaching the rhinos? I said, it's not a hunter that's a problem with the people, with the, the, the rhinos in Africa. It's poachers. Yeah. And I said, now, I'm not going to go over and shoot a rhino. It's not my thing. I said, but we kill deer and elk every year and we eat it. And I'm looking around because we're in front of the food line. And I said... Do you think that turkey died of old age or that bison in the back <laughs> that you're selling? Yeah. You better quit your fucking job today and boycott this bitch because all this shit died one yeah. way or another. And uh, I wasn't cussing as much. And I said, I think you guys really need to look at where this meat comes from, where my meat comes from. So we have this 30 long minute long talk and she's like, I'm just against hunting. And I said, okay, are you against death or against killing? What do you mean? And I'm like, well, killing, hunting, death, it's all kind of the same thing. I said, all these animals died, and mm-hmm. they didn't die from old age. They died from by man. Now, it could have been a stainless steel bolt to the back of the head. I guess it would be the side. I'm not, No, it's straight down the middle. And I was like, or it could have been my arrow. But they all died. Mm-hmm. And I said, all I'm doing is feeding my own family with my own meat that I got. These things were bought and sold wholesale. So she brought up the free grazing bullshit. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's still in a they fucking pen, shit, ma'am. I'm like, the shit I'm hunting lives in a wilderness. Free grazing, it, I, I said, it's it's still not, it still doesn't have the life of an elk. We ha- And obviously, 
the lights popping on more and more for her. And I'm like, this shit just didn't grow on a tree, right? It died. And so I said, I understand that you were worried about me poaching rhinos, which totally I understand. But once you heard I was a hunter, you just kept saying I'm against hunting. But that means you're against death and you eat meat. And I'm like, so then you need to stop eating meat. You need to boycott Vitamin Cottage, go boycott every grocery store around. But you don't want to because you eat meat. You just don't like the word hunting. Was there any vegans in there? In oh, that yeah, that other one was in there. No, yeah. she didn't come over and talk. Um, yeah. You know, but even that, like with the vegan thing or whatever, I mean, like trying to explain to them animals die yeah. with well, their products Well, not only well. that, especially, and I can't remember which is which, but one of them eat eggs and one of them doesn't. Yeah, so. Right, so you're going to eat eggs. It's like, huh. I just don't comprehend that, you know, because they end up finding protein sources because their body, they need it. Yeah. yeah. Right? Well, I believe our body's naturally made to process and digest yeah. meat protein, not some plant-based well, yeah, we're not BS. freaking omnivores or whatever. No, so. that's just it. I mean, you give a cat a full vegetarian <laughs> diet, <laughs> that that's some bitch dead, croak, yeah. right? Hallelujah, yeah. glory days, right? <laughs> yeah. You None know, of us but, like kitties. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I, I just find it all interesting, but I think that, you know, I think you do the best thing. I mean, and I've seen you grow over the years from, you know, maybe... The full-on F-U attack. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do <laughs> yeah. a very open, you know, very yeah. rational, you know, where you do understand that, hey, if you go in and tell a group of people to go fuck themselves, that, <laughs> yeah, they're probably not going to like you, well, right? I, I mean, and I try to tell people that in the sense of like, hey, I've because I'm pretty open about it. Like, I've grown... Myself, I may still have those feelings, and well, I'm not, oh, sure. I not may. No, yeah, I mean, no, I do. we don't. You still have those. Yeah. But like, yeah, you know, rewind ten years ago. Oh yeah, they would have been getting some. F-bombs, yeah, that would have been a confrontation in the parking lot. But what ended up happening is they both ended up phone. Well, five of them, but two of them, the two I talked to in that direct conversation, followed me on Instagram last night. One shot me a message, and the photography saw the photos, and they they saw how it works. She had this long-winded conversation, and I was like, look, you got to hike in. You know, you don't have to. That's what we do. And then we pack it back out. And then I said, and we got three deep freezers full of meat, and we eat it every day. She didn't fucking understand. Had no idea how any of it worked at all. She had, because of fucking television, she had the idea over and over and over, death, death. What's Frank, I know you like kill reels, but... Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but the, that ain't the, the only really like yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, is explaining to them that their meat comes from death in the end, right? Something died no different than ours was got the point across. So how we are squirreling going running down this rabbit hole is, I don't know how we got here, but I mean, in the end, it was a good conversation. It was good that they brought it up to me. It was good that they understood. And I'm glad they found out that it's hunters that get hired to go hunt down those poachers. And it's not hunters poaching the rhinos. It's poachers that live over there. I mean, that's another. If you have a rhino about to die or let's say an elk that's about to die and it can't breed anymore, why not if there's a hunter willing to pay that much money that's going to go to conservation to go kill it when it's about to die anyway. Now, well, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we both have shot animals, older animals. I mean, they got no teeth left. Yeah. You get some of these that have infection, that have old wounds. I mean, as far as quality of life, eh, not so much. You know, they're going to freeze to death. They're going to get eaten by something, mm-hmm. you know, um, to be able to bring that food home. Yeah, yeah. I don't see, 
I see that a far better way at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, the day I lose my mind, I hope I got someone that loves me enough to say, okay, we got to go out back. Or you start shitting your pants. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think any of us want to go down that road. No, no. I, yeah, education is definitely, I think, the best route well, for Well, not only education, it's got to be the right education. I mean, it's a... Uh, you know, there's just so much hate, man. You know, you, from even just within the hunting community, you go to the online forums, you go to any of this stuff, and, you know, you just get people that just talk it, that just bash it, that just don't set a very good example. You know, if we all maybe just spent a couple minutes to take the high road, you know, to be a little bit more of a positive influence, I think mm -hmm. that that goes a long way. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um I, uh, you know, reading, I was going to read a comment, but I won't because it's going to be pretty blatantly who is it, who it's from. But on one of the uh, traditional archery deals or whatever, um, you know, that we were, I was talking shit yesterday. Trad is not a good word, right? Trad's stupid. It's for the younger generation that sucks. And, uh, or trad life is dumb or whatever. It didn't help. What's his nuts tattooed trad life across his fucking knuckles that he did trad life? Oh, I hadn't seen that. Yeah, that, that might be a bit overboard. Yeah, you went, what's it on Tropic Thunder? You went full retard, buddy. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but it started off because of that, and that got posted on Make Hunting Great Again. Um, uh, and then that obviously transferred to some other forums. And, you know, there's some, and maybe when I'm 60, I don't who knows how I'll act, but they're, you know, guys getting on this newfangled fad, you know, whatever, and, and the trad, and I got brought up in it. And it's like, one, if you knew how much money I've lost in endorsement contracts, from living the trad life, it ain't a fad, you fucking asshole. It's not. Um, I like it. I like shooting the recurve. But what Paul was saying is, how hard is it to just not say anything? Oh, that's just <laughs> it. I, I would challenge anybody. And, you know, I have have shot with, been around very few people that shoot better than Aaron. I mean, Aaron with the compound. Can't be beat. Yeah, it's, it's something I don't think a lot of people comprehend. I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, I could hang with that guy. and No, you can't. I mean, I, I tried and I've watched other people try. But what I'm getting to is I seen a trad bow improve Aaron's compound. I seen a trad bow, you know, reignite Aaron's love for archery. And I really challenge anyone that if they are established with the compound and have never picked up a trad bow, spend a year with it. I do believe it'll make you a better shooter just because – It'll of make the, you a better hunger, a hunter. You're well, going to go yeah. fucking hungry. You'll, you'll go hungry, that. that's for sure. And it'll be, it'll be eye-opening. I mean, there's nothing easy about a traditional bow. But, you know, to sit there and necessarily, you know, say that they're not an effective tool or can't be used, you know, I don't think that's fair either. I think on Sunday I would have picked that bow over a compound bow the way that I was shooting. I mean – it's just a different hunting style or method where, I mean, neither one of you really hunted with me a whole lot, but I'm not overly cautious with the compound. I can get away with a lot more where, which you'll see this year, like Frank and I are going on a, on a, on a high country mule deer hunt. I'll be so, you'll see me go into a different ninja mode that you never see because I got ADD <laughs> so fucking bad, but I literally, and you've seen me sit in one spot in glass for 12 hours. I mean, you just have to be different than you are with a compound. But really what happens is when I see something at 100 where I'm like, okay, I'm going to shoot pretty soon now, 
I'm spending 15 minutes to figure out how the hell I'm going to get closer in another hour to get there. It's just different, but it's it's effective if you practice. I mean, I like, I mean, you nailed it. It gave me a newfound love for archery, really, like I haven't had, I mean, since the 90, late 90s, 2000 time frame where I just can't stop. I didn't bring my bow today because I knew if I did, I'd shoot it and I needed to just take a break. I was never like that with a compound. I'd shoot, but, I mean, you'd see me shoot five arrows, and I'd sit there for an hour and watch everybody shoot. I just didn't have to. I didn't have to practice. Um, where now, got to put a little effort into it. But <laughs> Well, I mean, I think, too, ultimately is, yeah, you might not have practiced, but the dedication you had put in and you still put in, you know, is unmatched by most people. I mean, you're going to excel at anything you pick up. So... You know, I think people just need to have that mentality, you know, um, in anything in life, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, if you're only going to half-ass everything, you're only going to get half anything in return. Yeah. And you, you brought know. up a pretty good point yesterday about what Pellegrino told you yeah. about the shooting. I was thinking well, about that yesterday. I'm like, damn, that's true. I think I was giving Frank shit for not listening to me on the right and left mm-hmm. stuff or whatever. But the, <laughs> the thing is, is that stuck with me. And Bill and I don't even get along that well, right? I mean, he was a guy I always aspired to beat, right? That He was a guy that I wanted to shoot better than. And I learned, too, is if I just shot against myself, I could probably beat him, right? Yeah, or, or, you know I mean, what I mean, too like, many people, they get so wrapped up in the scorecard and – you know, where do I place in comparison to this guy? We're all shooting against ourselves. Yeah. That, you said well, that the other day when we were at the range. Yeah. You're basically, unless you're in a, in a a legitimate shoot, you are just shooting against yourself, which is a great point. Even then, I've gotten to the point, which one of the reasons why I don't think I, I choke. Very, I don't know that you guys have ever seen me choke. I mean, I, I don't choke very often. I'm not saying I'm impossible, but I keep in my mind to just try, or I try to, to shoot the best score I can and, 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 one of the things, like you said uh, a minute ago, with practicing is I would have really good, five really good shots. There wasn't a need for a sixth. You know what I mean? Like I, I really put all that concentration into that. And what he was talking about is if somebody says, Paul, drop a, a quarter into a coffee cup from three feet above it, and uh, you do, and probably after 20 times you're – fuck it and you miss and you don't care but if somebody said you get 10 grand if you do it 100 times in a row you're going to concentrate you need to put that amount of concentration in every shot um to be successful in tournament archery i think hunting's the same way i think if you pick your bow up we know so many people do a week before season well hell you said bonesy doesn't doesn't he oh yeah my brother and he's you know he shoots animals every year it's funny i can't hit the broad side of a barn with the compound I can't tell you the number of 300-plus bulls my brothers miss with the rifle inside <laughs> inside 100 yards, right? I mean, this last one was so bad he had a panic attack on the mountain. He thought he was having a heart attack, right? Jesus. I mean, in Bonesy, he eats a couple Twinkies here and there, you know, and I, I worry about the little fella. I truly do. He is a big boy. You know, but, uh, yeah, he, you know, he's got, he got hit by a car here a, f- a while back, and it broke his, the ball off the top of his shoulder joint. You know, and he's got some problems there. And, yeah, he, he'll he shoot the bow a week or two before the season for a handful of arrows. And he, uh, you know, he shoots stuff with the bow, you know, in elk season. Um, and, yeah, I, you often wonder, you know, it's like, wow, you know, he does pretty good with only a couple weeks. What could he do, you know, if he was really just motivated? You know, what kind of level could he shoot on? Because, you know, 
the truth of the matter is, is an animal in front of you with a bow, with anything, is the most high-pressure situation. And if you can hold your stuff together through that, you know, you can hold your stuff together through quite a bit. You know, yeah. I'm sure that's where I go wrong somewhere is even though, you know, I'm thinking I'm catching my checkpoints, my anchor, my peep, my bubble, my pin, everything, you know, and you miss 82 feet to the right. <laughs> well, <laughs> obviously something went wrong, right? <laughs> you um, know, so, I mean, I've seen two opposite sides of the spectrum, but, you know, the one consistent thing that I see, you know, is guys that just are extremely motivated. I mean, you know, Aaron, I mean, he's just an extremely motivated person. That's one of the things that just carries through life. Um, you know, I think you always find that those people... I'm not real motivated to pay my taxes right now, but anything I like... <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's a good point, right? Not motivated right? to take that fucking garbage out. Yeah, but, yeah. no, I mean, it's like you got to do yard work. It's like, yeah, fuck that, that ain't happening. Let's go shoot instead. Yeah, we'll go shoot. I mean, you know, but... Yeah, I, I just, you know, I think the other thing to remember, too, that a lot of people forget is, you know, to just move, to learn how to move past a bad arrow. Yeah. You know, you're pretty good at that. Past a lot of things in life in general. I mean, that's one thing I talked to Brian about constantly was um, uh, uh, Cole was just shovel that shit off, man. It doesn't, yeah. like, I can, sh I can sh you know, shovel off a bad comment, a bad day, a bad arrow, a bad animal pretty quickly. I mean... Part of that is I think I know one of the reasons it's bothered is the amount of effort I've put into it. But I also know I can't – if if something bad went wrong, it wasn't for lack of prep, right? Yep. I put enough prep into it to it. Sometimes you just got to say throw, <laughs> throw a little dirt in the air to call in the mountain beast, say, fuck it, I tried, move on, yep. right? Lander told me a million times – he said, you're only as good as your last arrow. And if your last arrow is bad, that is when you'll see a, a true trad shooter when he's got his mental shit together. Will it will it bug him or not? Same with a compound. I just think it's much more amplified with a stick bow. If you've wounded one or if you've missed or whatever, how much will that affect you on your next shot? I just, for me, I've been lucky enough to where I can shake it off a little bit um, and pull my shit together. Um which is, I mean, it's good, and I think a lot of that has to do with, I do know I've, I've practiced probably more than any human on the planet. I don't know anybody that shoots more than me, not to say that that's the be-all, end-all, but, I mean, I've shot so much, the end of my fingers are falling off right now, which is probably a good thing, but. Well, not only that, I mean, it goes to how far in depth you'll go on tuning, you know, it goes how far in depth you'll go on an arrow setup. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think a lot of people understand the amount of work you're putting in right now just to determine what arrow you're going to shoot. Yeah, which I I think I've got figured out. I don't think that um, uh, just off some messages I've gotten the last few days, I don't think that people, man, it's going to sound arrogant. I don't think people can realize how I shoot. And this that sounds horrible. No, I but, fully agree. I didn't realize it until I shot with you, you know, and the time I've spent, yeah, it's... Well, I had a guy... I think if you, if you come from not shooting a trad bow and then you try to shoot one, like I tried to shoot one the other day and I hit the fucking wall at no limits. <laughs> and then you like watch him like put, well, put him I mean, in a, a softball at 40. I'm like, have? good Lord. You had dude. a run of how many 12s? It was seven or nine. I can't remember. I mean, you know, you could look at the compound scorecards and you're not going to see a run like that from 95% of the shooters. And, and uh, we're only talking about this. I don't want people to think we're bragging about it, but 
that is 100% from the amount of dedication and listening to what have people have to say, weeding some of the bullshit out, but people that know what they're doing. And like you, I ask every time, Frank, uh, Frank, Paul's watching me like a hawk. Frank's filming me when you're not around for what I'm doing wrong. And, and it, you don't have to go to that level. But I think yesterday I shot a one spot, not in a tournament, just practice, but I shot a 282 on a one spot, uh, just at screwing around on my my backup bow. Yeah, I didn't know how. That's a good score, right? Oh I yeah, really... really good. I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you can shoot, you know, consistent two forty. If you can walk in at a twenty yard range on a five spot and shoot two forty every day of the week, you're a hell of a trad shooter. Well, and I, I, again, I think that as I am so methodical and anal, I, you know. I may not pay my bills or taxes or forget to take the garbage out and probably fuck up the dishes. I've been married three times. One doesn't really count. <laughs> but I'm going to be good at photography, shooting a bow, working out, things that I care about. I just am that methodical and anal about them to the point I think I'm ready to drive the guys at Rocky Mountain crazy trying to get it perfect. And it may not be perfect in someone else's mind, but it's my perfect setup, my perfect arrow weight, perfect flight, perfect bow, perfect string. Um, which I have that now, and I, you know, it takes dedication, takes takes practice. I oh mean, yeah, I mean the truth of the matter is, is you're gonna you're gonna wing an arrow, you're gonna miss shit, you know, you're gonna hit at times that you know. I mean that's just you know what it all boils down to. Okay, it's just percentages, right? If you just increase the numbers, just simply play the numbers. Okay, the guy that shoots a hundred arrows a year is probably not going to be at the level of guy that shoots. You know, 500,000 arrows a year. It's yeah. just plain and simple. But not only that, I mean, hard work only goes so far, right? You know, you got to have knowledge. You know, there's things, especially when it comes to traditional archery, especially your form, your consistency. You got to work at all of it. You know, and I think as we all, you know, get older and are able to spend more time doing the things we love to do, that, you know, we find that it's not only the hard work that gets us there. It's everything else that goes along with it. Being smart in your preparation, being smart in your practice, understanding things. Um, you know, anyone can put in, so to speak, hard work if they choose to. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that that's the be-all, end-all. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're you're right. Um, and I, I tried to write an article the other day about this, covering some of it, but if you're a shitty shot, you're going to need to practice stalking. Yep. You're going to have to be sneaky, right? Um, um, Harold talked about it. Harold said he's not a very good shot. He kills plenty of stuff, but he's he's sneaky, right? Or you're going to have to be patient, or you're going to have to good spot, have a good spot. Yep. Um, you know, if if one's lacking in one, you know, section, you're going to have to have one better in the other. So, I mean, I, obviously, we also have the the benefit of we have a lot of time. Um, now we don't have a lot of time on each hunt because we're going on another one afterwards. But right now we get to go on a lot of hunts. But my thing is if I can, you know, shrink those things down where if I can common sense, if I can really not do anything stupid, but yeah. that's going to raise the on a stock. That's going to help pay attention to the wind. If I can keep my shit together on the shot, that's going to help, right? Work under pressure. If I'm going to practice enough to where once I keep my shit together, if I couldn't shoot very good, it wouldn't matter. But practice and actually hit the target and then physical fitness, gear, all those things are controllable to us. Not controllable. All of those things can be worked on 
I think, uh, not to get on a different subject, where a lot of people, they focus on what they can buy. Well, or what they're good at. Yeah. You know, yeah. focus on the things you suck at. If yeah. you're a gym rat, right, this gym warrior, big ripped up guy, you yeah. know, can bench a thousand pounds and you can't climb a flight of stairs, <laughs> yeah. maybe work on your cardio. Yeah, exactly. You know, or if you're this ultra long distance runner that can't pack a 20 pound pack, yeah. maybe work on your gym game. Work on the things that you hate working on. Yeah. You know, I think like that's running. what separates. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I hated running. I mean. Shut up, Frank. <laughs> when <laughs> I first I met too. Aaron, he knew that. We yeah. both hated it. I enjoy running now. Dude. You know? Yeah, I, yeah, because it does help free my mind, mm -hmm. you know? And it's helped me, you know, my feet have gotten a lot better. My knees have gotten a lot better because of it. And at first, I couldn't run down the block, you know, without sweating like a fig eating a corn dog, right? <laughs> but now, exactly. you know, I can run a little bit further and I do enjoy it. Yeah. And I, I just, I still don't run. I do backpack cardio. I should start running. Um, I've thought about it several times and then it snows and I think, you know, it's just not meant to be. And then I don't run. <laughs> it's just a sign. But I, yeah, I mean, with what you're saying though, and this goes with rifle, anything in life or whatever, and it's not like I've got everything mastered. I screw up most of it, but Patience, right, was the big thing for yeah, me. Yeah, patience is huge, man. And that patience. Was, that was the big thing I had to work on. I mean, yeah, I'd work on everything, but that was like my big downfall was being cautious and patient um, with the, the stick bow. I mean, Frank, like with you, you're a sneaky little bastard. You're very patient. Um, he's also very humble because he's over there like, eh. But, I mean, I would say if you needed to work on anything, when I say patient – it's weird. You're a sneaky, but I can tell there's times you'll let her buck. <laughs> I mean, same. I was the same way. I mean, I'm not criticizing him, but there's times where, and I'm only talking about this because of shooting the, the trad bow for a year. That's right. I said trad, T-R-A-D. Um, Hashtag a struggle, struggle, struggle stick. stick yeah. <laughs> if a buck's at 80, most guys that have practiced 80 shooting a compound – you're Probably letting her fucking rip, in. tater chip. There's no way around it. Where having that stick, so much shit happened from the time I could have shot with oh, a compound. Yeah. changes everything. And then the motherfucker gets up and walks to you. And I'm like, oh, look Perfect. what. If I would have, like with a compound, you don't know because you've already let the arrow go. Yeah. The animal's moving closer. A bigger animal comes in. A lot of shit goes on. And like I said, I'm not criticizing you because believe me, I would what have been that? telling you to shoot from behind you. But what was that thing that uh, Brian Broderick was talking about? Your circle of effectiveness, of effectiveness, or your ranges of effectiveness? Yeah, there's the closer it's, it's a you v. can. Yeah, the closer you can get to the animal, the more effective or accurate your shot. Yeah, would it's be. like a funnel, right? Yeah. The closer you get in, the closer you're getting down to the tube. And I, think, I try to think about that. Well, I didn't think of shit. And if you would have told me that, I would have been like, here, watch my tube from 80. I'll just kill it, right? Before. I mean, no one yeah. could have told me to not because I was so had, – had good luck with it. Now, we're now having to watch for that long. A lot of shit goes on and a lot of it's beneficial. Minus when the wind changes, that's a problem where – which you'll see this year. I mean, man, there's shit you have to do with that stick that – I mean, you just got to wait. You got to do different things. So, and, I mean, I may go all year and not kill anything, but, I mean, I'm going to – do my best and, and a lot of it is just going to have to be picking your different your battles not doing anything dumb um well when when harold was talking about he's been in situations where he's waited days days to make a stock and i was yeah. thinking like holy shit that is a long time but mm -hmm. it makes sense well and i don't think you need to wait days on a three and a half year old buck no. maybe not even a four seven year old buck yeah you're waiting you could wait days and 
we've waited days not with a weapon in my fucking hand because we're shooting. But when I went on hunts with guys with, you know, big tags, big money tags or big draw tags, you you may wait days. And with the stick, you may wait even because you have to. Um, and when I talked about like those bucks I shot, we were talking about escape routes. Now I got to look at shit like that. Where are those animals going to go when someone else blows them out or when they travel? Because that may be where I have a opportunity to, you know, like take advantage of it with the recurve where those deer may be running or, or moving away from someone else. But if I know where they're moving, I might be able to set up on an ambush with the recurve for a close shot. So, I mean, kind of spiraling down a well, rabbit hole. Well, that brings hole, up a good point, though, just for public land. I mean, just to, you know, continue down the rabbit hole. Yeah, a lot of people, and no one likes hunting pressured areas, don't get me wrong, but you can use other hunters to your advantage. Yeah. I mean, plain and simple. Where you have if to you in the do, Wasatch. Yeah, you really yeah, do. You know, yeah. if you keep an eye on escape routes, if you know animal habitat and behavior, you know, yeah, you can use some of that to your advantage. Yeah. Well, and I've been scouting with guys that are not people I trust um, or want to hunt with, and I'll pass things on a trail or, or not a trail, but a goat path that I'll mark on a GPS or make a mental note that I just don't want them to know I'm making a mental note of because then I got to explain why. And generally it's going to be an escape route, a path I didn't know of, deer beds in a spot you flat out can't see from any direction so you know they're bedding there to stay away. And those are things that like, okay, I bet if I watch that long enough, something's coming out of that. Or there's a high probability in the time of bedding during the day, I'm going to be able to sneak in on that even though I don't know anything's there probably something's going to be there in different areas. And I've had to pay a lot more attention to that with, uh, with the recurve than I had the, you know, the compound cause you get away with a bit more. But I, I think that, um, I think a lot of guys, I guess, to kind of sum a lot of this stuff up, if you're kind of losing your motivation to shoot a bow, or if you're tired of the mechanical, kind of like you, you don't mind the mechanical portion practicing, but if you want to hunt with something, I don't know if pure is the right word, but definitely simple. Yeah, for me, I don't know how to tune a compound to the level that you do. I don't, do you know how to, Frank? Not really. Yeah, that was, was my frustration is I'm, I strive to be a perfectionist in a lot of things. And I always felt that my lack of knowledge was what was really handicapping me a lot in my compound setups just because I couldn't do my own work on them. Mm. You know, and I probably should have just maybe forced myself a little more. But, you know, it was just something where, you know, Aaron understands that far more than just about anybody, even your bow techs that you go and have work on your bow. So, you know, um, with the stick bow, you know, I understand arrow paradox. Those are things that I videotaped and I've looked at, I, you know, and then other than that, it's just really, you know, brace height and knock height. I mean, it's fairly, yeah, it is simplified for me. I got to say, so I just spent the whopping $89 for everything I needed probably to ever work on a recurve. Yep. And that was more. So I didn't buy, um, you know, like 8125 or D97 to make the strings, but I bought what center serving I was missing, um, as well as power grip, things like that, to, to tie peeps in, bought some extra clickers. And now, from what I've learned from you and the clums and everything else, I can I can probably figure it out, right? I mean, in a sense of I can do pretty much everything from home. I'm not saying I'll do everything from home and I still have a lot to learn, but I like having that. I can get it pretty – I'm getting there, right, like I did with the compound. The problem with the compound is – there's a lot to them. Some a have, lot to them. Some have yokes. Some have, I mean, I'm not even going to go into it as far as tuning, <laughs> but you could take right now 
a Hoyt, a Matthews, a Prime, and let's say some odd, oh, that black, what's that one up, uh, that one in Canada, super fast bows, um, nah, wh- whatever it is, it's, they're all going to tune differently, right? They're, and there's going to be, some of them are going to have cable rods. Some will have a, like a wheel system. Um, I just, to simplify things, some you're going to have to shim the cam over if you're getting a left tear, for example, or you're going to have to put pressure on the cable rod to get the cam lean needed. There's a lot of shit going on with that. And now a lot of that's from just experience where you guys have that with a, a like I didn't know me cooling, Randy cooling uh, told me immediately he goes, man, that widow is going to take a stiff arrow. I mean, he wasn't fucking lying. I mean, it does because it's cut so far inside a center. I didn't know that. Well, I would imagine a 20 year trad shooter that shot a bunch of bows. They can tell you what different bow is going to take. Like Hoyts are notorious for tearing left. It's fixable, right? You put twist in the left yoke, but they they tear left normally. I know that because I've shot so many different bows where a lot of people just don't know that. Um, I mean, Frank, what are you learning on the tuning <laughs> aspect? Yeah, I mean, pretty much all the same stuff. It, there's a lot to learn, but I got guys like you and Bo and Hognuts and Phil and Braden over there that, that helped me out quite a bit. So I just try to watch them and, and talk to them about, you know, when we go to paper tune, what what I want to do move my, move my rest. The other day I cut all my target arrows to a predetermined length, and he was like, "Why?" Aaron's like, "Why the fuck did you yeah, do that?" Yeah, bad and I'm juju. like, he never shot it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a bad yeah, deal. Yeah, so that's a I mean, bad I didn't deal. even think I, I didn't even think about it before yeah. I did it, and then I did it. I'm like, "Good lord, that yeah. makes sense." Because in your defense, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of including people, fucking you just look pro at sharps, do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's everyone's different. And then I was thinking about it about him shooting the the trad bow you know there's no there's no rest to move left or right no so you have to you know you have you're shooting all these different lengths and with the different yeah, weights different and stuff length they're on and point i'm like weight. good lord that fucking makes sense yeah but i already fucked it up well so now i mean i have to i'm gonna have to adjust some things to make them work or just get a whole new batch of arrows but um yeah that was something that was like fucking the light bulb went on but it was like <laughs> five minutes too late <laughs> yeah. i'm like oh fuck uh, noah built the ark before the rain buddy yeah, yeah yeah right but again this is we talk about this all the time that's off a collective of fuck-ups i've done where i've already learned where i didn't even know how to tune a bow correctly for years mm-hmm. right you'd get oh I'm, I'm a 29 inch draw link cut it at 28 and a half insert 100 grain point Ah, fuck my field points. Ah, they're hitting good. Broadheads won't hit for shit. Well, I didn't tune anything. And then you read these fuck sticks that post, oh, accuracy like a field point on a broadhead. Lie. Wrong. Not not happening. Well, it's got to be tuned. So not to go on a rant about tuning, it's a lost art. A lot of pro shops don't teach how to tune, um, you know, or don't even get the bow to. Well, they just use these tricks of like you're saying moving the rest and this and that, well, whereas, whereas you can get it dialed in with your starting at the arrow. You not know? only that, I mean, you get guys, everyone assumes they know how to shoot, right? Mm-hmm. You get so many guys, just a little bit of side pressure on a compound changes everything. Yeah, and you get a field point to shoot, you bet. You Hog torque a bow a little bit with goddamn broadhead, yeah. see ya. Hognuts and bow were calling me uh, torque life the other day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's just it, you know, where... You know, a lot of shops, they do, they take the easy route, you know, okay, we'll just push the rest in or out, mm-hmm. okay, and then, or just move your sight for your, where your broadheads are hitting. Yeah, and that fixes short term, you know. I tell you what I learned from you was I start with a bear shaft with a stick bow out of the gate to get it close. Yep. 
And then I fine tuned through paper with a bear shaft. And that's what I was doing at No Limits the other day um, was basically once I got that clicker on, that fixed fixed my inconsistent drawing. Um, It's also, what the fuck they call that? Psycho trigger? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I think though ultimately the biggest thing I've seen is that, you know, you realize you had an inconsistency in your shot first and foremost. Drove me fucking yeah, crazy. How do I fix? How do I fix <laughs> me first? Yeah. Yeah, and the clicker has fixed you as far as the inconsistency in the draw length. Yep. Um, as far as I don't know, psycho triggers and stuff like that. It's all very interesting because, in theory, you know, really all that that should activate is a relaxation in the hand. Well, again, I think. That can fuck people up too. And yep. my, I mean, this is my own humble opinion of a lot of compound shooting. You give a guy a clicker on a back tension on a hinge, that they'll have full on seizure. I can't shoot a clicker on a hinge because as soon as I hear the click, I panic so hard. Exactly, I can't shoot it. Where a pressure like a like a silverback release might be better. Where you there's no mechanical click. There's a depression of a trigger. Yep. But where with that, I could give a shit if that thing clicks, farts, flip, wind blows crooked or whatever. It's basically just telling me my draw length's correct. And shortening my draw length cleaned up my release hand some. Yep. What that was able to do is fine-tune my um, arrow length, my tune. Well, you're able to get a far more consistent bear shaft from arrow to arrow. So I went from between 30 and 31-inch arrow, and then I had uh, 50 grain uh, Valkyrie collars and, and then 20 two or seven aluminums. Um, I had stainless steel aluminums. I had everything from a 200 to a 350 grain point. And then I had a a rough arrow weight I wanted to hit. So I did some redneck ingenuity, got pretty close to where I'm like, I think aluminum collars and 250s are going to work. Um, and I wanted the 250, the solid head. So I started at 31 and just cut off little by little by little and then I hit 30, and that just happened to be where she tuned it. Now, it's not exactly 30 because I got the knock, and it, you know what I mean? But then I was shooting bullet holes with bear shafts, um, and from that point on, I was like, okay, I'm good, right? I, that was the best tune I'd ever gotten. It was the most consistent. I had to fix me, like you said, but a lot of it's because I'm so anal retentive. Like when I shot that whitetail in uh, Alabama. Alabama, I only had a gap to shoot through of – you see that hole that wasn't huge, right? For a compound, it was huge, but it was probably, what, 10 inches or something, maybe a foot? Yeah. It, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't fucking, it wasn't monstrous. It was a, a small gap. But you know how many times I've been behind a guy telling him to shoot a bull through trees and that thing looked like a fucking ping pong ball because his arrow flies so bad? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, because, too, even the, what I like to do is once I find where a st- bear shaft is shooting straight, say it's a 250. Then what I do is I'll throw a 200 on to make sure that it's shooting stiff, and I'll put a 300 on to make sure it's shooting weak because I want to find the middle of the road. The middle of the road to me is what buys you a little bit extra if you do have a little bit of a less than perfect release, if you do have maybe a little bit longer draw on an arrow. You're at the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're always on the borderline you know, um, yeah, your inconsistencies are going to be more magnified. Yeah. You know, where I think you're exactly it. You know, you can see a lot through the naked eye with the bear shaft, but is the bear shaft truly bullet hole straight through paper? Right. You know, if it does have a slight kick, can you, you know, 
does a quarter of an inch off the arrow and prove that? Is your form consistent enough to where you can see that? What was amazing to me was the toothpick in the arrow rest, in the riser, and uh, and a quarter to a half inch of shaft where I would have never, ever in a million years really worried too much about a quarter inch on a compound setup. Where with a stick, a quarter inch, there was a difference. And then a toothpick coming off the... The shelf of the riser was a, a difference as well. Um, you know, me screwing around in the garage with this, just shooting not through paper, but at five feet watching the arrows hit. Once I got that clicker on, I noticed they were all perfect in line, right? Yep. Well, except when I hit a crack, but they were all hitting the same. And then they were all tearing a little bit off and so or were flying off. So I put that toothpick in there. Immediately, they straightened up. And yep. I'm like, oh, well, and this was before I started, you know, did my final arrow shaft tuning. So I knew that, okay, I'm tearing a little bit weak. Um, I'm probably going to have to go shorter on these arrows. And sure enough, I did. So, and and it's arrow flight, but I mean, the thing too is, is it's penetration of an animal. Yeah. Better the arrow flight. At the end of the day, I mean, you got to have a straight arrow. Well, you, you can shoot of, 500 feet a second if it hits the arrow sideways. Yeah, animal, yep. You're screwed. Mm-hmm. It's just going to laugh at you. Like, hey, funny man, <laughs> oh, <laughs> try that again. <laughs> Frank and I, Frank has to hear me go on tangents all the time, but who were we talking about the other? Dana. Dana's arrow's probably 380, right? She's shooting. Oh, the weight. Yeah, and then she had however many pounds she's shooting. I said, this is a prime example. She could go into a lot of archery ranges, and they put a mechanical on her bow, especially if it's not tuned correct, right? God invented mechanicals for people who can't tune for shit. Nothing wrong with it. But in her specific setup, as an example, I shot a mule deer. That mule deer I just posted wearing Cabela's Outfitter camo. After I shot that mule deer, the guy that was I was with, we stocked in, and I'm typical 190 buck. I mean, the buck of your dreams. I didn't know his arrow was 370 grains. I didn't know he was shooting 58 pounds. I did know he had a rage in the cage on. And I told him when I saw that, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know about that broadhead. That's You got to have some ass behind the arrow. And showed me the package, just bought him at Cabela's, right? Axe through an animal, bone-crushing penetration. <laughs> like all this yeah, marketing 101. rage in the cage. Um, <laughs> and nothing wrong with rage broadheads, but... We stock in on this animal at 28. I'm ranging. I'm like, kill it. Kill it now. And you can imagine arrows going through the air, and he pinwheels this thing. Hits a rib vertically. Ribs are giving. Go push on a fucking rib, right? It's flexible. Opens up vertically on the rib. Pushes the rib in. Arrow bounces the fuck out. Oh, my God. And this is a typical 4x4, 190 buck all day long. Mm. It's got a vertical cut on it. Like a big vagina, basically, right? <laughs> right inside of it. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding Yeah, did me? I just see that? And, um, you know, I'm watching this thing bound off. And this kid, super cool kid, kind of a stoner, was like, oh, bummer. And I'm like, do you know what yeah. just fucking happened? 190 buck. And, uh, mm. and that was like a big thing for me where I've kind of um, let people know, like, hey, especially people that give me that setup on an email and are thinking about going to a mechanical. I'm like, do not go. You need to shoot a cut on contact broadhead. You need that penetration. Because if he he was shooting something like a a cutthroat or a Valkyrie or whatever, you know, iron will, fucking dead 190 buck all day long. Yeah. But as that opened, the forward deploying broadhead is a momentum sucking fucking machine. Open that head up, whatever momentum it had sucked up Boom. in the opening, hit that rib, and that rib went in, and I'm not shitting you. The arrow went, Tong! 
and bounced back about two feet. Jesus. And I'm like, holy fuck knuckles. Can you? I was fucking pissed. But I mean, the guy, you know, get the Cabela's was like, oh yeah, rage well, is the way to go. Yeah. I mean, and that's where you got to have knowledge, you know, and not to blame that guy. He probably just didn't know any better. He, he did. You know, he knows better now. Oh, he went and, you know what he bought was Magnus buzz cuts because they were there too. And I've had Magnus not spin correctly, but I taught him, well, I showed you. You spin them and I flex them on the table, bend them true, basically. You're flexing the ferrule true. They'll be off. And it could be your arrow. That's another thing people don't understand as I'm going on this fucking tirade about tuning. Your fucking arrow's got to be straight at the end, people. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't off the ever, you know, to just build just a homemade spinner is so easy. It takes two seconds to spin a million arrows. Yep. Why not? How often do you see? Well, you're doing it now. I spin them all now. Square, well, I squared them all off. You know, especially as you shoot stuff with aluminum components, you know, collars like, you know, we've seen. You know, even your field points just hitting a foam target get bent. Mm -hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden you're going to take your 3D arrow and you're going to just slap a broadhead or a mechanical on it. Okay. You're not going to spin it, assuming it's straight. And, you know, you get that arrow that comes out of the bow that takes a right turn at I-90. And you're like, <laughs> what the hell? Well, and before I go on a hunt, like we're going to, although I just got a text from Clay Lancaster said we should not go to BC in May. I guess there's eight feet of snow. Anyway, I'll get the broadheads out. I'll put broadheads on every arrow. I'll spin them all. Now, if everything, that's one thing nice with the Valkyrie system it, you, you got a pretty screwed up arrow for it not to spin true. But when I did compound arrows, I would go as far as when I'd spin one, I would label the head and the arrow to make yeah, sure make once sure it I, matched. Yeah, for my backups when I backpacked in to make sure it matched because it spun true. Because even a mechanical will fly shitty at longer distances if it's oh, not yeah. spinning true. And you true. see a lot of mechanicals, especially, you know, the more slots they have to cut out of the body, you know, you're just taking rigidity away from it. Yep. You know, and every time they cut that slot just from the machining, you could have a residual stress in it somewhere that just puts a bend in a natural direction. Yep. You know, yeah, and if you don't spin it, hell, you don't know. I mean, everybody should have an arrow spinner in their arsenal. It's I think a cheap piece. 20, Why wouldn't you? What are they, 20 bucks? 20 bucks. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even just to make them simple, you can Google anything. Well, and another good thing to do is spin your bear shafts if you're building your arrows and cut off the bad ends, whether yep. it be the, yep. you know, Frank, you cut off both ends, which mm -hmm. is a good thing to do. The other thing to do is take a silver Sharpie, spin it. You know, your, your, uh, your knock-in may be bad. Yep. I mean, your label, if you have OCD, won't be in the same spot. You wanna, may, may want to take four inches off your knock-in because it's got a bad spin to it. That's one of the reasons for years I bought cheap arrows because I was poor. But I could make a— A good arrow. Yep. Yeah, I could take an old gold tip .0006 or an Easton, spin it, yep. and if I spun them all methodically, I could make those at least to .003 or less. Yeah, just where determinant on which end to cut it off on. Yep, yep. You know, and if they're not perfect, save those aside for your coarse arrows. Yep. You know, save your good ones for your, you know, especially if you're shooting fixed blade broadheads. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you got— to me, you got stump arrows, right? You get yep. ones that are bad. You got those as stump arrows. Well, you know, even just your grouse arrow, you know you're blowing that bastard <laughs> up, right? That's a bitch ain't making it through oh, the season. Yeah. That, that you, that's an outlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. So you get a piece of carbon that's, you know, got wackadoo in it. Who cares, man? Put it, 
you know, market. Everything's got its job. That job's to break. Yeah, <laughs> that job. Yeah, you get that, you know, that 90-yard shot in the cliffs on a 3D <laughs> course. You know you ain't hitting that shit, right? <laughs> yeah, just throw that arrow in. Yeah. Uh, what are you thinking over there, Frank? Are you sucking any of this in? Yeah, I am. Uh, well, a, a, good, uh, a good example, 2000. Six or seven, maybe eight, I can't remember, uh, shuttle tees came out and uh, shot a couple big bulls with shuttle tees. But I got um, ACCs were my, that was my jam. That was what I shot forever. And they quit making them and they came out with full metal jackets, which I, I love Easton and I love Isaac and I do not like full metal jackets. Why you would put the aluminum on the outside of the shaft, I, I don't understand. I'm not that smart. Maybe there's a good reason. But I they were very very they were there were arrows that were forgiving to me they always hit where they were where i was pointing but they bend right they flex so i fell down i bent some um totally my fault from falling i couldn't get them straight so i was kind of at a do i keep shooting fmjs and that people love them i mean i know lots of guys that shoot fmjs or do i move on well the that's when i really started to figure out the super stiff spine up front point weight, right? I'm like, okay, I need a heavy arrow. Um, I'd like a heavy arrow, but I would like to increase my point weight, where with an FMJ, you're not going to get as much point weight because your arrow is going to be so freaking heavy by the time you're done. So I wanted to get, you know, 250 spine, um, which is still, I mean, that's super, you know, whatever. We're talking high poundage here. But my point being is I wanted to get a little bit lighter weight shaft and a super stiff arrow so I could load the point up with 175 to 250 grains up front on a compound. Those are all things that people, that sound like a total dick, getting rid of the marketing aspect of it. Just because someone shoots X, Y, or Z arrow does not mean that that arrow is the best. It's still going to kill. It's still going to hit good. But you may not want to shoot a whatever, a pure carbon or an FMJ. You're going to want to shoot what you're most comfortable with. Now, if that's a warm and fuzzy because of a sales pitch, then use that. But there's a rhyme, there's a rhyme and a reason for everything. And as you learn all of this stuff, you're going to kind of you're going to write your own book on on your perfect arrow. Uh, I don't know if that made any sense. My perfect arrows, I got it weight up front, so. Well, I think, too, it's interesting. Two things that I take away from that that I think a lot of people learn over time, okay, is that, yeah, you can get a bad arrow, okay? You might shoot an arrow and you might say, what the hell? You know, and you automatically think it's just you. Yeah, maybe mark that arrow, yeah. you know? Um, and then, two, you know, it's funny with the FMJs, a lot of people do shoot them, but it's, it's funny how you see people pull them out of a target, yeah. You know, if you're at a tournament and you've got someone else pulling your arrow out and you see them putting a U-turn in it, yeah, <laughs> maybe spin that arrow when you get home. Yeah, no, for sure. And, I mean, you like them, uh, Frank. You like the FMJs. And I know a lot of guys that do, and I think they're a great arrow. But for the arrow that I would want, I would choose, um, well, I like those bloodlines. You know, they're a, they're a carbon arrow, lighter weight grains per inch because I could load up the front. Um yeah, the mark in the arrow thing, an outlier, unless you're paying high dollar for... Um, yeah, super straight. Super straight. Super straight. You spin a dozen depending upon, and not just spin, spine consistently, spine consistency. And you can knock turn, you can turn the knock and, and uh, index them sometimes in the hole. But guaranteed, you put them on a shooting machine and you shoot a dozen, there's going to be one or two that ain't hitting. Um, yep. And that's... 
I mean, someone would need to prove me wrong on that one because any, any studying I've done, you're going to get some outliers. You're going to have a couple bad shafts. And I think that's when, you know, you really start finding what aero companies are better than others is when you do um, – when you really start find, you know, especially a shooting machine or you spin them or you spine test them, you're going to find one arrow, some arrows are better than others. Now, if you can't shoot for shit – Yeah, you got to work that out first. I yeah. mean, if you're not a – you know, people always talk about – you know, so me, I, like I said, kind of my just baseline for a good trad shooter is if on a five spot, if you can consistently day in and day out, shoot a minimum 240. On a 3D range, you know, I'd say the guy that consistently can shoot day in and day out, you know, probably 310 and above, you know, those guys are good shots. Um, you know, I guess what's your baseline as far as score wise for a compound shooter? Um, Do you have one? I think if you're to be considered a good shooter on a five spot, you should be a 300 with 57, 56 X's. Um, 55 or above, you're, you're, you got your shit together pretty good. Um, if you're shooting 55 and occasionally shoot 60, usually that's concentration. You're a hell of a shot. You Like me, you got ADD and you drop a few out of the X. Um, on a 3D course, on a average 3D course to me, counting 12s, you should be at a minimum of the high 390s, um, you know, av- mid to high 390s on a on a 40 target 3D course to be, you know, to consider yourself pretty good. Now, not, I'm not I'm not shitting on people that are lower. I'm just saying. No, I think ultimately though, what it is is if you're not at those levels, keep on working on your shot. Yeah, you know, don't necessarily blame it on the rest you're shooting or the arrow setup or the release. You know, work on your shot. Yeah. Well, and Frank heard me babble and you um, when we were on the 3D course. I mean, and you've seen me shoot some pretty ridiculous 3D scores, but generally if you're – it's unknown yardage um, and you don't have confidence in your shot, it's compounding the issue. When you let that arrow – everything's magnified. Yep. You let that arrow go and you're unsure of your yardage. Everything's magnified. But if you're sure of your yardage or pretty sure – and you're confident in your shooting, you're just upping your – I mean, it's just increasing the potential of hitting the 12 ring or making a good shot. Um, then after that, it's going to be just things you learn like I was babbling on to you about, about tunnels, taking away how to judge yardage, all those different things. And so – Well, the, even like you said, when your feet are below, when yeah. your toes are below your heel, you know, little stuff like that, that guys, you know, until you've got years of experience, don't think about yeah, I would have well, never thought about that. I, yeah, me either. To be honest with you, yeah, it's just bubble. You bubble to your heel. Um, if your toes are going downhill, I'll bubble to my heels a bit. I'll bubble uphill. But all of that stuff is from just shooting over and over and over. And I haven't shot like competitively, and I just can't. I don't have it in me anymore. But um, you know, it goes the same along the same lines for for hunting. You know, you're just going to learn. The more shots you take at animals and the more different situations, you're going to learn more and more and more and more. And, uh, you know, we're trying here to, like, help shorten that learning or, you know, change the learning curve a bit for people. I mean, you can only learn so much listening to dummies on a podcast, but hopefully people pick up, like this podcast, pretty informational. Hopefully people pick up some of this stuff and kind of learn from it. I mean, obviously, at the end, you want to have fun. You want to increase your chances. But... Sometimes I think people, because they don't acknowledge, they get super frustrated and they're not having fun. And yeah, that's, don't that's be no afraid good. to seek knowledge. Yeah, definitely don't be don't do afraid that. to seek it. You know, because there are 
in this sport especially, there are good people. There are people that want to pass it on. You know, sometimes you just have to find them. Sometimes you can't be scared to ask. And quite honestly, if you ask and it's an asshole, move on. <laughs> move no, on. I, yeah. That, I mean, if, if, if I could give any advice, I would definitely say, too, once you find the one, find, try to stick with one person for the most part or one school of thought. Yep. If you're in the heavy point weight school of thought, stick with the guy that's kind of preaches and teaches that. You know, yep. if you're if you're shooting, um, if you're into longer bows more than shorter ones, not a huge deal, but it's a hell of a lot easier to talk to a guy that's more into the school of thought of shooting a 35-plus inch axle-to-axle bow. You know, if you're shooting a single pin slider, Get advice from a guy that's hunted effectively with a single pin slider, not some asshole that shoots 3D, somebody effectively killing, because he's going to be able to help you out with info on, on hunting with a single pin slider. If you're shooting a multi-pin slider, talk to someone that's done that effectively, because there's going to be chinks in the chain along the way that he's probably already learned um, tuning the same way and the shooting form the whole nine yards. I mean, you can ask six people, get six different opinions and get all fucked up. Well, right? and not only that, real legit guys that have put hard work in, most of the time those people are excited to, to share the things they screwed up because they don't want to see a new guy, you know, get ruined or hate because, you know, he could have maybe prevented just – you know, like you said, a single pin, all of a sudden your last shot at the night was at 60 yards. You don't reset it. You know, you get an animal at 20, you know, chip shot, and you shoot five feet high. You <laughs> yeah. Know, it's just, I mean, you know, and that happens every year. All and the time. Usually what it is is a grouse. Fucking grouse will get you. Right. Yeah. Oh, there's a grouse, and he's at 35. You move it. You don't even think about it. You go grab the grouse. Next thing you know, you hear a bugle. Here he comes, he's at 18, and you fire off in the fucking buck. We got arrows to Jesus everywhere, and you can't even remember why. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that happens frequently. I mean, the other thing, too, like um, if you're shooting light arrows and you're, you know, dangerous, if you're, if you're, well, I'm talking to you, Henry and Mark Smith. If you shoot light arrows, mechanicals, more power <laughs> to you. But every year there'll be a bow sight, rock slide. What's the arrow weight for elk? And you're going to have a ton of guys. Oh man. That's get, a, yeah. Get on there and they're going to be, I'm not saying it can't be done. Happens every year. You can kill elk with light arrows. You can kill them with mechanicals. I've been killing them with mechanicals for years, but the, the smarter bet is a heavier arrow. I mean, you cannot argue the fact the smarter bet is heavier point weight. You get some guy that shot three tame elk on a, on fucking high-fenced ranches, or not high-fenced, but, you know, guided hunts, pinwheeled it. Of course, it's going to go through. Don't take that guy's advice, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not saying that he's not giving you bad advice. He's giving you advice of what he knows. But, I mean— Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to, too, don't live on the extremes. Yeah. You know, find the middle of the road more often than not. Find the more forgiving, you know, where you're not necessarily on the extremes. I mean, extremes are great for extreme situations. You know, yeah, if you're going over to hunt Cape Buffalo in Africa, you know, yeah, you're probably going to need an arrow set up a bit more on the extreme end from the heavy end. But, you know, on there's always give and take, you know, just because, you know, that that you might need a heavy arrow for that animal doesn't necessarily mean a light arrow is the answer either. You know, there's always extremes. So, yeah, you and know, I, I think that you're, you always, Kevin Underwood, right? Seven days with a 35 liter, 3,500 cubic inch pack, <laughs> 17 yeah, pounds. Yeah, living on the extreme. 
he's he's become proficient at what he does, but yep. you're not there, or no. you wouldn't be asking fucking questions. No, that's just it. If if you are aspiring to be there, take some advice, but work your way there. Now, yeah. Kevin does fine, and he's super lightweight. Now, I've rubbed some funk on it. That's great. I, on the other hand, like comfort. I carry a little bit more weight. Now, same thing with the extremes. He has earned his way to be able to do that. Yep. If you're asking questions on what to put in your backpack, as much as I like you, Kevin, don't listen to Kevin because he's at an extreme. You will not be – when you're to the point where Kevin's at, you won't be asking you questions. You won't ask the question. That's you're, just it. If you are at the point where you have the answers, yeah, that's different. But when you're still asking the questions, and there's nothing wrong with asking the questions. Right. Nothing wrong with that. May I just think not people, want to follow it. <laughs> well, and I think that's just it. People, there's two sides to it. People are scared to ask questions, but then you've always got the guy that thinks they're the expert too. That's dangerous. Yeah. No, you know? no. And, and by no means, Kevin, he's got it. I'm not saying, but Kevin's got it dialed in and he can do it and he does fine with it. But if you got a guy on a five-day pack that's using 70 pounds, you probably don't want to take his packing <laughs> list either, right? Like, yep. And you got a guy that's at 20. You don't want to take that guy's advice yep, find either. find the guy that's in the middle. Yep, in the middle. And uh, and that's not to say the guy packing 70 is effective. He's comfortable as shit. Yep. You just may not be carrying it in. Um, and on the other thing, you, I don't know if Kevin's comfortable. He's comfortable enough. He makes it. The other thing to look at, too, is is your field craft as good as someone's that's carrying that amount of weight because you got to have some fucking solid field craft. The more shit you take out of your pack, you're going to need to have two things. One's field craft, woodsmanship. The other one is the ability to take paint. Right? Yeah, and that if, guy's probably harder than woodpecker lips. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. If you don't have the ability to take paint and you become a Krabby Patty, that's not good. Or you don't have the, the field craft, the woodsmanship. Same thing with, with tuning or whatever. If you don't have that knowledge base of different things um, on how to tune a bow and set up an arrow and everything else, don't go to the extreme on on every aspect, like just agreeing with what you're saying. And if you're not a pinwheel shot, don't shoot a light fucking arrow because chances are you're going to end up, you know, in the driver, in the in the scapula. You're going to end up in a spot you don't want to be in a lightweight arrow isn't going to get you there. If you're just a killer shot and you don't choke, you're probably going to be pinwheeling that thing every time. You're not going to have any bad experiences. Don't I mean frontal shots? Probably don't want to take that with a light arrow, right? You don't, especially when you're talking about shooting through that thick ass hair up in the chest. Now I hit one a couple three years ago at like 70 yards on a frontal. Don't ever do that. Anybody <laughs> listening? Pinwheeled it, drove it to the knock. But I was shooting a six what 598 grain arrow at 86 pounds. Yeah, and and I had what it took. That's an extreme. Don't fucking listen or do what I just said. I mean, I had the ability to shoot in the arrow setup. A lot of times that'll just bounce off the chest. I mean, if you just try to cut that hair when you're cleaning it up in the chest, that shit is thick, thick and yeah. the height is thick. So anyway, but we should probably, we've been on here forever. We probably should rock and roll. That's not me. That's oh, that's probably one cracker. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought I had an acquired. Perfect timing. That's funny. Well, thanks for tuning thanks, in, everybody. Paul. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks for coming guys. In. Appreciate yeah. it.